Championship week. The teams are set. Coastal Carolina taking on Troy in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game this Saturday. You're listening to Under the Sun. My name is TJ O'Sullivan. We've got a good one for you today. We've got a basketball update and an Around the Sun, as always, where we talk about the regular season finale for men's soccer. We've also got some key games in football that we got to talk about in the regular season finale and then going into basketball, as I said. But let me introduce you to my partner in crime, Kyle Nashheim. Kyle, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a really exciting thing we've got going on later where we're going to extend the panel. Absolutely. And, you know, we would sit here and give you all the details and all the information and everything that we needed that you need to know just know that it is a very awesome uh, panelist that we brought in and we are going to tease it just a little bit we brought in someone from coastal someone from troy and we we let them talk about the upcoming matchup but you're going to have to wait we're going to make you wait to listen to it yep you are going to have to wait we're going to wrap up the show talking about the Sunbelt Conference Championship game versus, uh, excuse me, Troy versus Coastal Carolina. Uh, but Kyle, why don't we just kick things off? We've got a lot to talk about in the realm of Olympic sports. We've got some soccer to talk about. We've got some women's volleyball as they wrapped up. And we've got some basketball. So I'm going to pass it off to Kyle. And Kyle is going to take us for a trip around the sun. Here we go. All right, well, let's talk about men's soccer. And unfortunately, this will be the last time we touch on men's soccer in the fall. Kentucky's first loss of the season came in heartbreaking fashion as Pittsburgh upset the number one overall seed, Kentucky, 2-1, to one, ending their season just short of the quarterfinals with a 15-1-5 record. Number 13, Indiana got revenge. They were defeated by Marshall in the 2020 College Cup. They get revenge this season by defeating Marshall 1-0, ending their season with an 11-4-4 record. Marshall head coach Chris uh, Grassy had this to say, we gave up a little too much at the beginning of the game. I thought we gave up too much territory. So, congratulations on all men's soccer teams this season. We'll see what happens next year. Women's volleyball. James Madison will be playing the number seven seed in the Wisconsin Regional BYU on Friday in the NCAA tournament. Three teams were selected to the National Invitational Volleyball Championship. Troy will host a four-team regional that includes the Sunbelt member Southern Miss. Troy will play Tennessee Martin. Southern Miss will play Alabama State. Louisiana will travel to University of Texas Rio Grande Valley on Friday to open its regional with South Dakota State. Now, TJ, that's around the sun, but what's going on in the world of the hardwood? Going over to basketball, we'll start with the men. Missouri defeated Coastal Carolina 89-51. After letting the Chanticleers hang around in the first half, Missouri put their foot down and outscored them 44-19 in the second half. So Coastal drops to 3-2 on the regular season. ULM lost to Loyola, Maryland, 65-64 in the third-place game of the Emerald Coast Classic, losing both games in the tournament by less than 10 points. Old Dominion defeated East Carolina 71-50. 
The Monarchs held ECU to 27% shooting in the second half to hand them their second loss of the season. Tulane defeated ULM 75-60, and the number 11 team in the nation, Arkansas, defeated Troy 74-61. I want to take a look at some of these Sunbelt standings as we go uh, into this season. No conference games have been played yet, but Southern Miss, a perfect 8-0 on the season. They're followed up by Louisiana at 6-1 and Marshall at 5-1. The rest of the field evens out uh, the rest of the way. James Madison, Troy, and App State uh, close behind them. Very competitive this year as we get started with the out-of-conference games. So let's move over to the women. UCF defeated ULM 78-54. Ball movement, which is becoming a theme for ULM, hampered them as they only had one assist all game. Oklahoma defeated Arkansas State 95-70. The deep Sooners bench was the difference as they outscored the Red Wolves 41-20 in bench points. Texas A&M defeated Texas State 67-46. After closing a gap to 30-21 at halftime, the Aggies used a 21-7 third quarter to put the game out of reach. Coastal Carolina fell to Wake Forest 76-61. Asia Blunt's 20 points were not enough to overcome a 27-11 first quarter from the Lady Deeks. And Mississippi State demolished ULM 94-39. Looking at the women's standing, Georgia Southern is on top 5-1 in their first six games. Georgia State... 4-4, four and four, Louisiana 4-4, four and four, and Arkansas State coming in fourth place with 4-3. Four and three. The storyline for the women's bracket are four teams, App State, Coastal, South Alabama, and ULM, all at the bottom of the conference, 2-4 and four are their records, and that is your basketball update. So we will keep you updated on how the seasons pan out for basketball. But Kyle, we had a regular season finale for football um, in this past week. And it was, you know, it, it, it's it's tough to, to see this season end. You know, you and I are as, as big of football fans as we are. But I want to ask you a question before we get into the recaps. Who? Right. And, and and Kyle has not prepared for this. I definitely just came up with this on the spot. But I want to hear who your uh, your team was that you thought played, you know, either remarkably well or remarkably unsuccessful this season. What stood out to you? Which one team, if you had to pick? Well, before well before I do that, I want to give uh, props to Southern Miss being a no in men's basketball. They have a victory over Vanderbilt in Vanderbilt. So that that right there gives uh, gives definitely them, you know, they're going to be a worrisome team in men's basketball. Let's transition right back to football. Um, a team that I think really played, like, I would say underperformed, but I really wouldn't say underperformed in a way because Old Dominion finished 3-9, and nine, but they have strong wins. Like they destroyed that they basically made Coastal Carolina 
second guess themselves a lot at, at their homecoming game. Um, and you also have they lost to Virginia by two. They lost to a uh, ECU team that's probably going to go bowling. They beat Virginia Tech by three. And they lost to Liberty, although Liberty has you know, kind of like fallen off a little bit because they just lost to a New Mexico State team that may not even be able to complete their regular season. So, I mean, Old Dominion, I would say, would be the team that really like underperformed at, at for most of the season. Now, overperformed, I'm going to say Southern Miss. I really believe so. I, I thought Old Dominion and Southern Miss swapped records. I thought Southern Miss was going to be like the three and nine, four and eight team in the West because of teams like Troy and Louisiana and South Alabama. Um, I did not see them finishing six and six, four and four in the conference. I did not. Uh, so hats off to that program. Uh, they almost beat Coastal at Coastal, almost giving Coastal a third loss and really just muddying up the East Division more. But I, I would say Southern Miss. I mean, when you got a back named Frank Gore Jr., I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. I I was incredibly impressed with Southern Miss. And to your point with uh, with Old Dominion, yes, they're the bottom of the East. Uh, at the finish of the regular season. But like like we said last week or the week before, this team's in a really good spot. You know, like they, they've got a sophomore quarterback coming back for his junior year. Their star running back and their star receiver are set to come back. I mean, I, I'm extremely excited to see what Old Dominion does. Um, but yeah. the team that I thought overperformed, we're actually going to start with them as we get into football recap. So we're going to start in Huntington, West Virginia, as the Georgia State Panthers came to town to face my uh, pick for overperformed the Marshall Thundering Herd. Georgia State missed out on bowl eligibility this year, but head coach Sean Elliott's squad looked to end the season off on a bang. The Panthers got out the gate quickly, putting up the first 10 points of the game. Marshall would get the spark they needed before halftime, though, as Kalen Laburn goes 83 yards on the first play of the Marshall drive to put the herd on the board, and Rasheen Ali would catch a five-yard pass to give Marshall a 14-10 lead. Marshall would go on to outscore Georgia State 14-13 throughout the rest of the game, giving them a 28-23 win and finishing the regular season 8-4. Heading down to the Bayou, ULM hosted Southern Miss for a game that decided bowl eligibility for the Golden Eagles. Southern Miss started quickly, punching in a touchdown and a field goal on the Golden Eagles' first two drives of the game. The offense would grind to a halt soon thereafter. ULM would score a touchdown in the second quarter and a field goal in the third, tying the game. The fourth quarter, however, belonged to Southern Miss as they scored 10 unanswered points led by a Frank Gore Jr. 33-yard touchdown. Gore would finish with 199 yards, just short of 200, and a touchdown, leading the Golden Eagles into bowl season with a 20-10 victory. Louisiana Raging Cajuns are going bowling after a dominating win over Texas State 41-13. 
With 10 minutes left in the first half, the Bobcats were keeping it close, only trailing Louisiana 7-6 after a pair of Seth Keller field goals. But Louisiana just ran away with it, scoring the next 20 points of the game unanswered. Lincoln Perry was Texas State's only hope, running for 221 yards and punching in a touchdown. Great performance from him, but the Cajuns were just too much for the Bobcats, and the Cajuns will go bowling. And here is the big one down in Statesboro. App State at Georgia Southern, the deeper-than-hate game 2022. App State has never missed the postseason in their eligible years of FBS. Georgia Southern has one of the nation's top offenses, both teams looking for bowl eligibility with a win in this game, as if this game needed any more buildup. So let's jump right into it, as this game was a battle. There were six lead changes by the middle of the fourth quarter, and that's where we'll pick it up. App State led 38-31 after Amani Marshall ran in for a touchdown, capping off a 75-yard drive for the Mountaineers. Later in the quarter, Kyle Van Treese and the Eagles drove 66 yards to the App State three-yard line. 4.26 left to go in the game, first and goal. Van Treese fakes the handoff and powers across the goal line for a three-yard touchdown and ties the game. App State turns it over on the next drive, forces Georgia Southern to punt, which gives the Mountaineers their ball on their own 28-yard line with under a minute to play. Chase Bryce drives App State down to the Georgia Southern 12-yard line before App State uses a timeout with two seconds left. Kicker Michael Hughes can win it on the last play of the game. Wide left. Season finale headed to overtime. Georgia Southern starts with it. Four plays later, they're in the end zone with a touchdown pass to McAfee. App State has to answer, and on the first play, Nate Noel breaks free for a 25-yard run into the end zone. Nate Noel was the star in the absence of Cameron Peoples, finishing with 171 yards and a third and three touchdown, that touchdown in overtime being his third. This was the ninth 100-yard rushing game in Noel's career and 16 yards off of his career high. Back to the action, second overtime. App State starts with the ball. First play, incomplete pass to Noel, but Georgia Southern cornerback Derek Canteen gets hit with a late hit to reset the downs and move App State up to the 14-yard line. A killer penalty, but the Eagles defense comes up big and forces a field goal. App State leads 48-45. Georgia Southern can win with a touchdown. Second play of the Eagles, second overtime. Vantrese unloads with a pass to the end zone, caught by Ezra Archie for a touchdown. Georgia Southern wins 51-48 in double overtime and heads to bowl season. So, Kyle, let's bring you back in. All of these games that we just talked about, won by teams that will go bowling this year, Marshall, Southern Mm -hmm. Miss, Louisiana, and Georgia Southern. That makes seven total bowl-eligible teams in the Sun Belt this year, and an eighth if you include James Madison's 8-3 and record in their first year of FBS. So my point being, this year featured some great teams led by phenomenal coaches, which begs the question, which Sun Belt coach, excluding Jamie Chadwell, because those rumors have been surrounding since he started at Coastal, but which Sun Belt coach could use the 2022 season as an audition for a Power Five job, 
should one open up in the near future? Hmm. So, like you said, obviously, Jamie Chadwell, his name has been in the rumor mill since the middle of the 2020 season. So, that right there would be the easy one. Oh, it's Jamie Chadwell. No. Um, so, I have two in mind. And both of them are first-year head coaches. So, on one end, you got John Summerall, John Summerall who we'll talk about later. Um He's the Troy head coach. He was an assistant on those Troy teams that dominated the Sun Belt. Left. Uh, he, he became the linebackers coach of Ole Miss of, in 2018. Went to Kentucky to become an inside linebackers coach and then co-defensive coordinator. Helped lead that defense to a Citrus Bowl victory. And then got hired as the Troy coach on December 2nd of almost – one year ago to the day. And in the first year, Troy had only, in the last three seasons, Troy had only won 15 games. They won 10 in his first season and nine in a row after the Hail Mary against, you know, uh, against them by Appalachian State. And we definitely, we definitely talk about that later on. And I think, you know, just, what he's done with this team, how he got his team to buy in, not only at the beginning of the season, but after that Appalachian State game where they went one and that moved them to one and two overall and 0 and one in conference play. So that that was a time where you could lose a locker room as a first year head coach. They didn't. They they came together as a team and they really just played for each other and you you could tell his energy was infectious and then it just became stacking let's move on to the next game and really the the Jamie Chadwell model listen we we were oh and oh we have the uh, next week is our only game of the season and as soon as that game's over that season's over we go to the next season uh the other the coach I was thinking of is Clay Helton and you, you, you see this with Hugh, you know, Hugh Freeze recently, who just uh, left Liberty to become the uh, coach of Auburn. The only, the only thing I got to say about that is, uh, let's see what happens to Auburn in about three years. You know, he left Ole Miss in a uh, heap of NCAA violations and had to go to Liberty just to uh, revitalize his career. Uh, Clay Helton wasn't in that kind of stint. Um, stint. He was just he wasn't winning enough for uh, USC. His last five, you know, his last three seasons, he went um, 18, uh, 19, and fourteen. I mean, any head coach that would be great, but USC, that's nothing. That's that's um, you're disrespecting the legacy of the Trojans. So they fired him uh, after two games in the 2021 season. Uh, he got hired on by Georgia Southern towards the end of that season, but didn't start until this offseason. And he got Georgia Southern bowling for the first time in a couple years. And I don't see I, I see him rebuilding his reputation in at Georgia Southern before 
moving on, moving back on to a power five team, kind of like Hugh Freeze did. Well, yeah, I, I, I love your picks. Um, the two that I had in mind, we already, I already told you about my, um, my, how impressed I was with Marshall. And I mean, Charlie Huff, I mean, guy comes in, uh, first year in the Sun Belt and leads his team to eight and four, um, with a marquee win over Notre Dame. Um, you know, that's, that's big, uh, for Marshall, especially with, you know, with, with such turmoil towards the middle of the season, he had a quarterback battle in the middle of the season between Henry Columbia and Cam Fancher. So like, even with all of that, you're, you're pulling out wins and you're pulling out big wins. They beat James Madison. They beat App State. Like this is uh-huh. this is a big season for Marshall. They finished third in the Sun Belt, and the only reason they finished third is because Coastal was doing Coastal things up until the last game, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and then James Madison was on fire. Who's another guy that you got to talk about? Kurt Signetti, yeah. first season. In in FBS, and the Dukes go eight and three. They get a their first FBS national ranking on the AP poll. They miss out on bowl season, unfortunately, due to what I think is a really outdated rule. But you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of of this season. I you you had some huge wins. Uh, Yeah, I I'm incredibly impressed with Kurt Signetti. And then the other guy, uh, Will Hall, you know, he's, he's another one that just, he, he led the, uh, the golden Eagles to six and six record, which is like six and six doesn't stand out to you, but look at who he had. Okay. Zach Wilkie had glimpses of greatness, but like he, he's not, he's a, a bottom end of the league quarterback. You had Frank Gore Jr. who did it all. I mean, he he, he ran for touchdowns. He threw for touchdowns. You know, that guy did it all. Um, but that was about it. You know, he did the best with what he had. And mm. the Golden Eagles are going bowling. So I think that those three guys for me are guys that maybe not next year, maybe not the year after, but you give them, you give them three or four years and they might be knocking on the doors of Power Five teams. So here, here's a crazy thing. You were talking about, you know, the outdated rule. I think we'll talk about that just briefly before we go into the, our, our final couple games. Um, there is a outside shot that both James Madison and Appalachian State can still make bowl games despite not being eligible right now. So as of this moment on – Wednesday, November 30th, there are 79 teams currently eligible for bowl slots, and there are 82 bowl slots. So we have three bowl games, uh, three slots remaining. If Buffalo wins their game on Friday, on Saturday, which had to be uh, postponed due to uh, some snow, just a little bit, uh, that will be 80 games. That will be 80 teams out of 82. The next, so basically, Appalachian State could get in being six and six and not having the seven wins because of their um, FCS teams they scheduled. They could get in as the 81st team because there's not enough teams. 
they would look at any teams who are six and six who aren't eligible because of they schedule too many FCS teams. You would have Army. You would have um, Appalachian State and possibly New Mexico State who was able to schedule a game for this Saturday against an FCS school. If they win, they'll be 6-6. Six and six. They will fall under the same category as Appalachian State and Army. If there's only one team, one of those teams win, okay, cool. App State can go in, and then James Madison would be able to go in as the 82nd bowl eligible team because the next one down would be any teams who are bowl eligible transitioning from FCS to FBS as long as they're in their second year transition, which James Madison got a waiver to apply, uh, to be in their second year. So there is a possibility. There is a possibility, just, and, and I'm, I'm pulling for James Madison, and we're going to talk a little bit about some, some stuff later that has to do with coastal James Madison and, and Louisiana. I'm not going to tease any of that, but I am pulling for James Madison because that is oh, – I, I, I would love to see it. I would they love deserve to see it. it. They deserve it. They came out and, and they fired on all cylinders. And you're going to talk in a, in a little bit about how, how they did in their last game. But, like, this is, this is a really talented team. Uh, Todd Centeno, probably the most underrated quarterback uh, in the nation this year in my opinion. Um, and there's, there's been a lot of, of breakout stories at the quarterback position this year, but Todd Centeno really was like an unsung hero this year. And um, I'm, I'm pulling for the Dukes. I agree because you think about it, it gives the conference one more team playing in a ball game. Yeah, that would be, that and, would be nine out of 14. If both of them made it in. Which would be all. Almost the same a number as, or maybe more than the ACC. Right, exactly. Like we said, hashtag stun belt. Which, yeah, absolutely. Hashtag stun belt. Um, the ACC currently has, they have nine bowl eligible teams. So we would tie. So the stun but, belt making moves. But we got to talk about the last couple of games of the regular season. And let, let's get going. First off, we got the battle for the West Division that came down to the final week. First to kick off was South Alabama, who had to take on the Monarchs of Old Dominion. ODU was the aggressor early on, only taking about two and a half minutes for Hayden Wolf to hit Javon Harvey up the middle for a 26-yard touchdown. The Jags responded with a 14-play drive that resulted in a 10-yard Kalen Lacey touchdown from Carter Bradley. Both teams played turnover-free in the first half and counted for a combined only three penalties. Having to come from behind for the second straight game, Carter Bradley led a seven-minute drive in the fourth that culminated with a two-yard pass to DJ Thompson-Jones for the go-ahead touchdown. The Monarchs tried to come back, but a sack on Wolf on 4th and 13 sealed the deal and gave them at least a share of the West Division title. Now that their game was over, they turned their collective attention to Jonesboro, Arkansas, as the men of Troy tried not to clinch, tried not only clinch the West Division, 
and a berth in the championship game, but possibly hosting it. We have to move directly into the fourth quarter as the Red Wolves were leading 19-14 and they were willing to play the spoiler. Troy woke up from their Thanksgiving slumber to obliterate Arkansas State by scoring 34 points in the fourth. Kamani Vidal rushed for three of his school record tied four touchdowns in this period, starting with the first play of the quarter. James Blackman was looking to respond, but Reddy Stewart intercepted him and returned it for a 67-yard pick six. With the game truly out of hand at this point, Stewart recorded another interception that led to Troy scoring the final points of the game. Now that their place in the championship game is set, they have to decide whether to book hotels in Conway because... Harrisonburg, Virginia was the site of our final game as the Dukes hosted Coastal Carolina. The Shots played their first game in two weeks and, in theory, should be fresher than a James Madison team that had to rely from, rally from behind against Georgia State. The clinching scenario was simple. Win and the West Division winner had to travel to Conway. On their second game, a drive of the game, uh, Coastal quarterback Jared Guest threw a 33-yard dagger to Tyson Mobley on fourth and one to take a 7-3 lead. Cameron Wise kicked a 43-yard field goal to cut the deficit 7-6 with 11.58 left in the first half. Coastal's next drive ended in a punt and then James Madison proceeded to put their foot on the gas pedal with two touchdowns in the second quarter giving the Dukes a 27 halftime lead. Getting the ball to start the second half helped increase the lead with a 17-yard pass to Drew Painter. In the Shant's last 12 drives of the game, they ended up with nine punts, a fumble loss, and being intercepted. That interception led to JMU's final points as Guess was intercepted, and it led to a uh, John Todd Centeno rushing for a 11-yard touchdown that gave the Dukes the 47-7 lead. The Dukes held Coastal to an average of 2.8 yards per play and kept them out of the red zone to improve the 8-3. Coastal goes into the championship with more questions than answers. So, TJ, I want to bring you back in. Um, I, I say thrashing is kind of a uh, um, easy word, but yeah. With James Madison's thrashing of Coastal, social media was rabid and livid. Fans from across the Sunbelt teed off on Coastal, even bringing up the co-championship in 2020 as ammunition. So there's there's a very simple question that's got to be asked. Is Coastal Carolina an overrated program? First off, there's a couple of things that I need to preface this with. So, number one, I would like to just be clear in saying that, yes, Kyle and I are alumni of Coastal. I'm going to be as as unbiased as possible when I say this, because as I said before, James Madison, I'm pulling for you guys. You, you deserve a bowl game this year, and I think that mm-hmm. it's a really dumb, outdated rule 
that says, you know, with, with, you got to get waivers, got to be four years into FBS. Like you guys were ranked 25 or 25th in the nation at, at one point this year. And, and you guys put on a heck of a, a heck of a first year in FBS. So my hat's mm-hmm. off to James Madison. Okay. And, and nothing about what happened on Saturday is going to change my mind on that. Uh, just clearly from a journalist and perspective and a broadcaster's perspective, James Madison is the best team in the Sunbelt East. I, I was unsure going into that game, whether or not coastal, I picked coastal and I, and I stand by the fact that I picked coastal, but I was really worried about whether or not uh, Jarrett guest was the answer. Uh, for for a really good James Madison defense. But you also have to talk about going back into the actual question, is Coastal overrated? No, they're not overrated. They're the third most winningest program in the past three years behind Alabama and Georgia. Those are some great names to be a part of. People say, you know, I, I read the comments on social media, which is which is why we're having this segment. They're... There, there are talks about there, there being a cupcake schedule. Yeah, Coastal didn't have the best out-of-conference schedule this year. They almost lost to FCS Gardner-Webb. They beat Army by 10 points, and they let up uh, oh, almost 150 yards on, on four completions to Army and got completely just tramped on, went on, on the ground game. They, they pulled out that victory. We've said all season that you know coastal's not the same coastal this year and i just want to make that clear like we've never backed off on on any of that because it's true their defense was completely stripped they had a core of super seniors on the defensive side of the ball especially in the middle linebackers um that were completely stripped we have a lot the coastal had a lot of players leave and a lot of players step up and they didn't have all that uh, experience, but to bring up the, the 2020 co-championship, first of all, there's no asterisk by that uh, championship because going into that season, it was clearly stated that if there was a, um, if there was a COVID issue, then it was going to go down as a draw or a no contest. Okay. Number two, one individual was reported on coastal side and there were reports of other, uh, of other cases on the Louisiana side. Okay. That, that this was a two-sided thing. And as unfortunate as it is, we couldn't have a championship game in 2020, Mm. but I think if anybody should be, pissed off it, it's it's not the rest of the Sun Belt for coastal getting this quote-unquote asterisk championship it should be coastal coastal already beat louisiana that year they had yeah. already beaten them they had a chance to take an outright game on, on the best team that coastal's ever seen on the field i mean you could you can make a case yeah. for 2021 but that was the best team that coastal had ever assembled record-wise so i think it's i i just think it's unfair to to say that coastal's this underrated program when that or overrated excuse me 
this overrated program that like they've done so much in the past three years. They were the James Madison before James Madison. And it's like, let's, let's stop. You know, everybody needs to just appreciate, you know, the fact that James Madison had a great year this year. Coastal had a great stretch of three years and we don't know what's going to happen, but like, let's come on. Like really? Mm -hmm. So, here, here's a crazy thing about that. You're, 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 you're talking about how everyone's upset at Coastal and this and that. I almost guarantee you, I would put money on it, that the same people that are out there commenting, uh, oh, Coastal had an easy cupcake schedule, da, 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 da. If you pull up their tweets from two years ago, we're on the Coastal bandwagon. So I wouldn't even go that far. I would just say, you know, like, let's – Let's stop. Uh, let's stop teeing off on other programs for stuff that's kind of out of their control. I mean, Coastal had a great 2020. They followed it up with a great 2021, and we all knew that they were going to be down this year. But as we talk about later, how in the actual heck, as just to save better words, how in the actual heck did? Jamie Chadwell pull out a nine win season out of the team that he got completely gutted over the last yeah. off season. I think if anything, you should be, you should be uh, saying that like, you know, Jamie Chadwell did one heck of a job. Um, James, James Madison was just the better team on the field, but a, I don't a, think, a I don't think that that things. equates to coastals an overrated yeah. program. You know what I mean? See, see, uh, a lot of these teams, a lot of these fan bases that are saying this would love to have had a 9-2 and two season with their last game being a blown-out. They, they would give their head coach a new contract extension. But it's, it, it's insane that everyone talks about how, oh, well, you know, Coastal's overrated. Honestly, they're not. In fact, this, okay, last year, you could make a case because, yeah, you had a lot of the players coming back, so they should have gone to the conference championship, but they didn't. They, they lost two games. So you could, you could use that argument then because they didn't uh, go to their expectations. This year, they weren't expecting it was it was going to be, I think Marshall and Louisiana was like the was was the picks, or Appalachian State and Marshall, or no, or Appalachian State and and uh, Louisiana. So, how can you be an overrated program when you make a championship game you weren't picked to be in? Yeah, and you know, just to just to wrap things up with that, I think that it. You know, Coastal goes out and plays a great game against Troy. Maybe silence some, uh, silence some uh, of the talk. But I think that it's it's unfair to the program to say to to just completely discredit what they've done in the past three years based on two situations: yeah. James Madison winning last week in the regular season finale and Louisiana co-championship, which was a team that Coastal already beat. So, like, I just 
I think that, you know, we just chalk it up as James Madison had a great season. They are clearly the the best team in the East, unfortunately, mm-hmm. with an outdated rule. I, I think that it should be James Madison. I should also say that. It, w- it should 100% be James Madison. They had the same, um, or excuse me, they, they had the same amount of games they had the same conference record, and they had the tiebreaker over Coastal. It just makes sense that it's James Madison. Let's let's not blame let's let's not blame Coastal. Let's blame yeah. the NCAA. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, my, my I, I remember telling you in our phone call on Sunday. Uh, you know, you you think it's an outdated rule? I I believe that. It should be one of those scenarios where, yeah, you know, you you should play a conference schedule in your in your first transition season to uh, FBS, but just have none of the games count towards conference. You know, it's more bragging rights. Uh, and then if you know, at that point, if you get over six wins, okay, then you then you're ball eligible. You may not win your conference because you're not officially playing conference games but we we know who won and who lost but you know talking about overrated and underrated let's let's look at James Madison real quick in 2019 all right they went 14 and 2 won the FCS national championship now in 2020 they only played a conference schedule and then went into the tournament so their record disparity is 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 vast, but they went seven to one, but only made the semifinals. So, to some people, they were overrated because they didn't make the championship game. And no, it's, I don't it's, know. I, I don't know. My point is, my point okay. is, fan bases. Not, not, and I'm not talking about, and even a team's fan base or other fan bases in a conference. They have so weird, warped, strange expectations that legitimately will switch not not just season to season, but game to game. Like, you know, they, they, they could win one game by 30 points. That's the best team on the field. Next week we won – same uh, same score. We won by thirty points. No, you're, you know we had a horrible game. You know we should have won by forty. Like, can't you just revel in the fact that you beat two straight teams by thirty points, and not try to make up convoluted excuses as to why you didn't win by forty? And and uh, these fan bases all over the country, no matter whether your program is Power Five, Group of Five, FCS. Division two, division three, you they they make convoluted reasons as to why their team is overrated, underrated, instead of just appreciating the fact James Madison in their first season at an FBS level playing an FBS schedule went eight and three. Coastal in its last three seasons has the third highest winning percentage only behind Alabama and Georgia. Heard of those schools? So, and yes, they do play a, they may have played a cupcake uh, non-conference schedule. 
That's because no Sunbelt team is going to put their entire non-conference schedule as as a uh, as a uh, Power Five schedule because they're going to go into conference play 0-4. They may eke out a, a, a fluke win, but that that's what these fan bases want. They literally change game to game. Uh, and it it really upsets me when you go, oh, this program's overrated. You know, me and you have different definitions of overrated. We have different imagine, definitions imagine of losing. Imagine losing five games in the past three years. And and you're just getting discredited like that. Like, let's just yep. raise each other up. This is about conference growth, right? You know, like right. let's let's go into like we we had some great storylines this year. Exactly. Let's just, let's just keep it like positive. And the fact that you know, as I said, I think it should be James Madison. I think that Coastal showed that they're not the best team in the East. Unfortunately, that's not something that either team can control. So nope. it is it is going to be Coastal as the East representative, but let's not bring up 2020 about, uh, no. about that. Because if we're going to talk about cupcake schedules, how about number 21, Louisiana, um, a ranked app state at some point that year, and then the number eight, BYU. So let's, right. let's Which relax. Which was, was scheduled three games or three days ahead. Exactly. So, so I don't know. Yeah, my, I guess, like, just to wrap up, you know, let us know in the comments, um, you know, what what your thoughts are on this. Follow us on Instagram at Under the Sun SBC. Um, send us a DM. Let us know your take on it. But I think we've got we we've still got another segment that we got to get to, Kyle. Um, uh, you wanna you wanna introduce it? Absolutely. So here is. Here is what we did. I know we teased it a little bit, but we're gonna go ahead and we will and we'll bring them on to the call here in just a moment. Uh, a member of the Coastal Carolina um, broadcast team, Sam uh, Weirhalf, and we also have Jerry Miller from Troy. Jerry Miller is the color commentator for the Troy radio broadcast team. Uh, this was a great conversation. Uh, we were originally thought it was going to be about maybe 15, 20 minutes. It went a little longer because it was such a great conversation. And let's let's go ahead and bring those guys onto the call. TJ, take it away. So now we get to talking about the Sun Belt Championship happening this Saturday in Troy, Alabama. We've got the Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears coming to town to take on Troy. We're going to get into how these teams stack up, but Kyle, we have to extend the panel a little bit. We've got absolutely to bring in, we do. Yeah, we've got to bring in some some people who have been following these teams very closely. So let's start with the visitors uh, joining us from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, one of the play-by-play voices of the Shauna Clears and the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. We've got Sam Wiederhaft. Uh, Sam, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, super excited for this weekend against Troy and uh, excited to talk some football with you. Now, Sam, we we wanted to when you started to cover Coastal, you you got in right at the right time. Like you were you were covering the team just as it was starting to get fun. So can you tell us a little bit how you've seen Coastal grow over the past couple of years? 
Man, it was perfect. I mean, I got here in 2020, um, right in September. So right as that football season was starting and, you know, didn't really know too much about Coastal at the time. Um, you know, knew the football team was coming off some pretty average seasons. Um, and then the way they just took off and how quickly that rise was, uh, was just really fun to watch and getting to be a part of that team and kind of getting to be around those guys and learn more about that group was something really special. And then almost everybody returns for that next year in 2021 you know, go to the Cure Bowl and actually win that game for the first bowl game in, in school history. Um, and then, you know, you get gutted on defense and your main quarterback stays, but you still have a successful season in 2022. So it's been really cool to see. Um, I definitely have been spoiled being around this football team for the three most successful years in team history. And, uh, you know, excited to see how this year ends too. Well, we appreciate you coming on and wish the team the best of luck on Saturday. But we got to get to the host uh, team, the Troy Trojans, uh, represented by the color commentator for Troy Athletics, Jerry Miller. Jerry, how are you doing today? And I'm doing great. Glad to be on with you guys. Looking forward to talking about this game and can't wait for it to, to get here. A lot of excitement in our neck of the woods around this. Yeah, it's it's plenty of excitement, especially since, you know, Troy went from in, in the early 2010s, uh, basically running the Sunbelt West um, to uh, they, they had a couple of years, uh, a couple of five and five and seven years, and now they're back to 10 and two. So with new head coach John Summerall uh, taking the helm this year, um, you know, what what about his style uh, has had an impact of bringing Troy back to uh, Sunbelt prominence? Well, and I think it has been a lot attributed uh, to John Sumrall in the culture, the environment that he has built. He's really got these players bought into the kind of culture that he wants. And he was a guy that was familiar with Troy. He was here as an assist, as an assistant under Neil Brown during those years where we had five straight conference championships. Um, so he understand uh, he understood Troy football coming in. And then, you know, he spent some time in the SEC, so he had been in a very competitive league, learned under some some really good coaches, came to us uh, from the Kentucky program and Mark Stoops. He had been at Ole Miss uh, as well since he left as an assistant. So I think he has a good understanding of what it takes to win. Uh, but I think the real difference that he has made is he's used virtually the same amount of players. We didn't have a tremendous drop-off of of talent from uh, and players from last year. We had some, lost some real key players, but he was able to galvanize all of the uh, players and convince them to, to come back and buy into what he was doing. Did a good job uh, late in the process getting some players to kind of fill the, the gaps of those players that had left. Uh, but And he's really got them uh, believing in a culture to where they, they believe in what the coach is telling them to do. They're starting now to really execute uh, those plans. We haven't been great. We're not the most talented team if you go up and down the roster probably uh, in the league, but our team has really pulled together cohesively, and they will fight you, you know, for uh, 60 minutes. They'll get after you. So, uh, And that's that's made the difference. And, you know, luckily we, we brought back a defense with all the key elements there, and the defense has kept us in games and, uh, even when we've sputtered offensively, we've had a chance to win. And that's all a tribute, as you mentioned, to John Summerall and just what he has brought to the table. Well, another thing that we could attribute to it, I I, I do have to talk about the, the Hail Mary against App State um, because that was a huge turning point in the Trojan season. Uh, from that point on, uh, the Trojans have not lost a game. So 
on top of bringing back a defensive-minded coach like John Summerall, you know, that loss had to have stung a little bit. Can you talk about the, uh, the, the impact that that game had on the, on the team? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think as we look back, that was uh, a turning point in that it it was a point that galvanized this team. And it wasn't so much the loss. You know, we uh, it's hard to go to Appalachian State and expect to always win. You know what you're going to get up there. But our guys went up there and I thought really controlled the game, put ourselves in great position, and then to lose in such a heartbreaking fashion. To me, the key was how do you respond to that? Because we had to come home and face a really good Marshall team who was coming off a pretty big upset at the time of, mm-hmm. of their own. They were flying high. So to me, how do we respond to that? And the, the fact that we came out the next week and really played one of our best games of the year against a very good Marshall team, that really set in stone, I think, the mindset. And and the team hasn't looked back uh, from there. We've uh, we've been fortunate in a couple of games. We've made our fortune in a couple of those games. But again, it's been that belief. It's been building every week. And I do think Troy right now is playing their best football at the end of the year, which is when you want them to be doing that. Absolutely. But, you know, let's go to the Coastal Carolina side of things. They finished 9-2. Over the last three seasons, Sam, as you talked about, has been kind of the three biggest seasons in Coastal Carolina history. They have the third best winning percentage amongst FBS power um, teams, only behind Alabama and Georgia. So whereas teams like Troy and Louisiana were dominating the uh, Sun Belt in the late 2000s, early 2010s, Coastal's been kind of the standard bearer of this of the conference over the last couple of years. But Sam, I want to ask you: uh, majority of the team last year being seniors and super seniors, the team has really attacked the transfer portal. Got players like Sam Pickney. What new additions to the roster have impressed you while watching the team this season? the most that may not necessarily be reflected on the stat sheet. Well, you mentioned Pink. I mean, he's obviously the big one. Um, and we knew he was what we were getting from his numbers at Georgia state and then seeing him on the field. He's the deep threat. He's Grayson's, you know, him and Jared Brown have been those two favorite targets really so far this year. Um, I want to talk about one guy that, um, you know, you guys have heard his name, but I didn't know he was a transfer guy until a couple of weeks ago, but Xavier Gravette is a guy that transferred from Morgan state was out for that 2020 season. Cause they didn't play. Um, at Morgan State for that whole year. Uh, comes to Coastal, is, appears in a few games last year, and then this year has kind of emerged as that main tight end threat. And I think he's been a big target that, you know, it's it's incredibly tough to replace what Isaiah likely did for Coastal Carolina. Um, and now you see what he's doing for the Baltimore Ravens. But I think Xavier Gravett has been a guy that um, has just added to that depth on the receiving side and uh, just been a big target for Grayson McCall to hit so far this year. And, uh, you know, now Jared guessed the past two games. But, um, I think I think Gravette, who played a couple years at Morgan State, was out for literally an entire season, comes back these past two years with Coastal Carolina and uh, has done a really solid job as the tight end for us. And then- now, I know on the uh, defensive side, injuries have really been like, especially in the secondary and in the linebacker core as well. Who's really been like the um, player that stood out to you this season on the defense? Yeah, it's tough, um, you know, because the defense was just so, like I said, gutted after, uh, you know, last year and so many guys leaving, being super seniors, coming back from that 2020 season. Um, so there's been a lot of guys that have emerged. I think Jaron Parker has been a guy that uh, has has come up big. He's a transfer guy as well for Coastal. Uh, JT Killens had good games and bad games, and I think uh, his good games have really shined so far this year, being that 
you know, star linebacker that's kind of taken over for what Teddy Gallagher was uh, the past two years. I think Killen's, you know, replaced that spot well. And then uh, Josiah Stewart, um, that big play against Southern Miss, I think he's made some big plays this year. Uh, I don't think he's been effective as he was last season. I think he's also been dealing with some injury problems, but um, I think Stewart has been, you know, just doing what he does as that defensive end for Coastal Carolina. But, you know, as as the last game uh, against JMU kind of exposed, there are problems on defense. Um, we've seen that throughout this season. It's a, I, you know, I think it's a pretty young defense, inexperienced, uh, as you know, as opposed to the ones we had the past two years. So there's been ups and downs, but I think those are a few of the guys that have uh, kind of replaced those spots well this year. And you brought up injuries, and I think going into this game, there's there's one that is that overshadows every every other injury on both sides. Uh, and that would be the absence of Grayson McCall. Uh, he goes down in the App State game. Uh, he's been dealing with something uh, with his ankle all the way since Georgia State uh, when he got rolled over. But he finally gets announced. He, he's missing the rest of the regular season um, uh, after the App State game. But they opened up the possibility for him to come back for the championship and the bowl. So I just want to ask, have you heard anything regarding his status? May I – if, if I've heard something, then you guys have heard something. So I have not heard anything. Um, I don't know what's going on. You know, like you said, they gave that timetable of a pretty wide, you know, region. I think it was like three to six weeks um, when they originally announced it. So having him come back would be just huge. Um, we know how much of a difference maker he is. But it's kind of those, you know, what if questions because Grayson has missed time in each of his three years as the starting quarterback for Coastal. Um, so you know, what, what could his ability be like if he was fully healthy for three seasons? You know, we'll never know, but he's just always having injury problems and uh, it's been tough for the Shauna clears. And we kind of, we've seen that the past two games, we haven't had that difference maker at the captain quarterback position and Grayson provides that. So having him back for this game would be uh, just, it would be huge. And that's, that's what coastal hopefully is, is hoping for this, this upcoming week. And going to the other side, uh, you brought up difference maker, and there's been a pretty big difference maker in the running back room for uh, Troy the past couple of games. Kamani Vidal, who went into um, the the not not the last game, but the game before that with 556 rushing yards, and he's now eclipsed a thousand um, with two 200 plus yard rushing games. So Jerry, I want to ask you how big of an impact has Kamani Vidal had on this season? And more specifically, did the matchups he had in the last two games contribute to this monster output or, or did he have the ability to break out all season in your eyes? Well, I think he's had the ability, but I think we're just now seeing the Kamani Vidal that, uh, that we expected to see when he came in as a freshman. And I actually posed this question last week to our offensive coordinator, Joe Craddock, about what, what's made the difference uh, in him the second half of this season. And he quite honestly said that Kamani had been kind of dinged up uh, all year long uh, and, you know, had, had not made it a big issue and kind of discounted it, but he, they didn't think he had been at 100%. In the last three or four games, he's really at 100% and starting to, to hit his stride. I think that coupled with the maturity of our offensive line uh, under Cole Popovich and his instruction, I think they are starting to mature and we're getting some really consistent play from the offensive line. But Kamani uh, right now is playing at just a super high level. 
He's reading the holes well. He's getting good low pad level. He's keeping the legs churning. Uh, you know, he's been a workhorse horse for us. Uh, 30 plus carries in the last game, 30 before that. Um, you know, Troy in all of its history had only had prior to Kamani's first 200 yard game, only six players that had uh, done that 200 yards in a single game. And he's done it twice now, back to back. And as you said, pushed him over that uh, thousand yard mark uh, last week. He has been a difference maker. And I think it has impacted our offense significantly. Uh, we have seen it especially helpful at the end of a couple of close games when Troy's been able to take possession and just never let the opponent get the ball back because we could run the ball, control the clock, and uh, eat up a lot of time and just keep the uh, opposing offense uh, on their bench. Uh, That's been huge, and it certainly gives Troy uh, an offense that after the loss of Jabri Barber, we we didn't have a lot of uh, offensive weapons that we could really go to and count on because we weren't getting that production from Kamani. And, uh, and, you know, Tez Johnson was our biggest playmaker, still is. Uh, but we had to have some other receivers to step up after we lost Jabri. Uh, so now with Kamani coming back, it makes defensive really have to prepare for a lot more from this Troy offense because uh, now it seems that we've got the capability to, to run the ball effectively. You don't have to, you know, I don't think we have to run for 250 yards a game to be successful, but you do have to run so that the defense has to respect what you're doing on the ground and, uh, you know, open up your play action passes a little bit. And Kamani has provided that. You can't drop seven or eight guys back in coverage. You've got to commit enough people to the box to be able to control what he brings to the table. So it's made a huge difference, I think. And he's playing very, very confident right now and, uh, like I say, at a very high level. Well, I know we talked about uh, Grayson McCall. But let's talk about uh, Troy's Gunner Watson. He's had a career year in passing yards, but that has come with uh, throwing fewer touchdowns in last season and a career high in interceptions. So my question is going to be about Gunner Watson. Uh, has his uh, What has his performance done for the confidence of this team, and did it contribute to an increase in the rushing attack as compared to last season, as your um, average is up about 25 yards a game compared well, to last def- year. Yeah, I think it definitely uh, played a factor in it because of the way the offense was able to produce with the pass early on. Uh, you know, they had to commit more people out there, to, particularly on the uh, edges where we were making some big plays. Uh, Gunner's been a tremendous story for Troy. Um, he's a guy that's uh, had to take the bench a few times, had to sit by. And uh, he's lost a couple of uh, quarterback battles as far as a starting uh, role. And Gunner's always taken it in stride. He's always handled it with with class, never complained, never moaned, just waited. And he's had opportunities more than once to be able to come off the bench and uh, do some good things this past year, bringing in Jarrett Dagey, you know, a guy who'd thrown mm-hmm. for over 10,000 yards and 80 touchdowns, you know, a guy who played at the highest level. Uh, a lot of people were going, well, that's it for Gunner. But it wasn't. Gunner really uh, bought into the uh, quarterback battle, and he won the starting position. Uh, and he and he's been good. Now, De- Jared's been good for us as well. He's come off the bench and helped us win a couple of games. Uh, but that relationship uh, has never been a problem. Both of them have worked that out. And Gunner, uh, right now, this team, he has the team's belief. Now, the fans sweat. 
a lot. Uh, they, we get concerned, you know, because of the high number of interceptions. Uh, Gunner will have a tendency sometimes to hold the ball a little bit, thinking that he can make that throw or something's going to come open late and he takes some sacks. He'll throw into coverage again, thinking that – and he's got the arm to do it, but you know how hard it is to throw into coverage. You're running the risk, and it's bit him a few times. So the fans get anxious about it. But the team, I think, I think he's got their full belief, their full trust that they can win a game with Gunner as we did. Offense struggled uh, last week against Arkansas State, struggling to put points up. But we weathered the storm, and Gunner made some tremendous throws late in that game, and the offense uh, took off uh, with him throwing the football. So he has been a guy that will make you grit your teeth a little bit uh, from time to time, but he's got a tremendous arm, and he's really he's got a, uh, a warrior's mentality uh, and the team buys into that. They fully support Gunner. They love Gunner and they trust Jared too. If he has to come off the bench for any reason, as he has a couple of times that they can win with him as well. But Gunner's been a real story of a guy that's hung in there, done things the right way, had the right attitude. And I think it's paid dividends for him. Well, I think one player we got to talk about um, is Carlton Marshall becoming the division one careers tackle leader this season. Uh, I loved in his uh, um, post game where he basically thanked everybody except himself. Um, how have you seen him grow as a player during his time at Troy? Well, he's been a tremendous story. I mean, uh, I could talk all day about Carlton Marshall and the good things about him. Uh, you know, he's a walk on player. He's an undersized player that came out of McGill Tulin down in Mobile. No Division One offers uh, anywhere. Uh, Coach John Sumrall, who was here as an assistant, was actually the guy that recruited him and convinced him to come to Troy as a preferred walk-on. Nobody would give him a scholarship anywhere because of his size. But I can remember very well uh, talking with, uh, at that time, our defensive coordinator, Vic Coney, before the year and just getting a feel for the new players. And he, Vic told me, he said, listen, you're not going to believe me, but there's a guy that you need to watch out there. He's not big as anything, 5'8 at best. I think they list him at 5'9. That's a stretch. Uh, but he said, if you want to find Carlton Marshall, find the ball and he will be there because he's going to be in on every tackle. And I'm telling you, that's what it has been his whole career. Uh, he has been a tackling machine, uh, a guy that does everything the right way on and off the field. Uh, humble, as you've already mentioned, gives credit to, uh, uh, to everybody else, but himself. And he's just been nothing but a winner. And, uh, you know, we, we spotlighted him as our spotlight player before the Army game because he needed 20 tackles then to break the record. That's a high task for anybody, but we thought, hey, the way Army runs the football, he may get that many opportunities. He did. Had 18 in the first half, uh, and, uh, and he just keeps going. He's been dinged up a little bit, uh, missed one full game for us and uh, missed the second half last week against Arkansas State. But we're certainly uh, hopeful and uh, confident that he'll be ready to go Saturday. We will need him, but he's just a great story, a walk-on guy. He's a finalist for the Bullworth uh, uh, Trophy, and I can't think of anybody that rep that would represent that trophy more than a walk-on who's come in done it the right way and achieved tremendous success. I don't know if he'll get a shot at the next level, but I'm telling you what, somebody should give him a look. They should invite him to camp and just see what happens. If, if you want to get somebody that will tackle the ball to the ground, uh, you know, Coach Summerall said, you know, if the guy goes to the ground, you don't care how big the guy is taking him down. Uh, and that's uh, that. That's Carlton Marshall. He is he is a guy that's just a ball hawk. I mean, when you're on the same list as Luke Keekley, I mean that's that's an impressive list up to itself. 
Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. and, and it's deserving. I mean, he is. Uh, and, and just being around him, like uh, from, from what I do, it's been tremendous. He's great with us, gives us a ton. Uh, the teammates love him and because he he does always give credit to to the team rather than himself personally. But uh, But he's a special kind of player. And now moving back over to the Coastal Carolina side, I I feel bad because we <laughs> I keep having to ask you, Sam, about the the losses. Um, but I feel like it's it's kind of like this is what the news is. You know, Coastal coming into this season, they lost only three games by a total of eight points. And, you know, they they were the the flavor of the week of the Sun Belt for, you know you know, how, however many, you know, the past two years, but like they, they've been making strides in, in national recognition. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start the season six and oh, and then you, you face old dominion on hold on homecoming and it's 49 to 21, their worst loss since 2019. So then you go three game win streak. Uh, of course the Virginia game um, gets canceled for reasons out of everybody's control. Um, and then James Madison, 47 to seven. So I guess like what, th- there's no better way to ask this, but like, you know, what, what are some of the concerns that you're seeing, especially on that defensive side of the ball that, you know, could lead to having a tough time at Troy this weekend? No, I think, I mean, the losses have been really the storyline for a lot of this season, the losses um, and the injuries, because we just haven't been used to the past two years. We haven't been used to getting beat like that. Um, And it's concerning because those two losses were really the factor of two different things. Old Dominion, Old Dominion, it was the rushing attack. They ran all over us and we had no answer. And then with JMU, it was their passing and we gave up nine yards uh, per passing attempt. I mean, it was just something we hadn't seen before. Um, something that really concerns me that I've, you know, been able to see from the PA booth the whole year watching the home games is the secondary and guys are just getting way too open, way too, way too often. They're getting way too open. And, uh, you know, against a quarterback like Gunnar Watson, who coastal did play last year at coastal in the pouring rain, Watson still threw three touchdowns, but, um, you know, how's that going to play? I don't know. I it's, it's something that I've had questions about all year. Um, and, you know, watching guys like the Jordan Strong and Lance Boykin, guys that have experience that, um, you know, have not really had the seasons that I think they're used to having has been tough. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of concern. And then, you know, I don't think we put enough pressure on the quarterback. We only sacked JMU one time last week. And uh, I think that's what this Troy game is really going to come down to. It's going to be a battle of the trenches, in my opinion. And who's going to put more pressure on each other's quarterback, I think, is what that game is going to come down to. But um yeah, there have been a lot of a lot of uh, questions on defense. It's not really the it's not really the black swarm defense that we've been used to seeing the past two years. There have been some holes. Um, you know, they've they've come up, they've stepped up and played well in a few games, like the Marshall game. They had a solid game uh, in Virginia, West Virginia, for that one. But um, you know, the, the losses, those blowouts, have been a rushing attack against Old Dominion and a passing threat of, of JMU, and um, they really exposed us for sure. And I mean, I think that that speaks towards the dominance that the Coastal's had the past three years where, you know, you, you, you go 10 and two and everyone wants to know about the losses. So I think it's it's a it's it's a bit of a compliment in a way, a bit of a backhanded one at that. But um, yeah. I mean, there was um, something else I wanted to talk to you about uh, in the absence of Grayson McCall. 
um, Jarrett Guest getting the starting job. And yeah. what can you can you give me your thoughts on on him? Is he is he the answer on Saturday if if Grayson McCall can't go? Well, he's not going to be Grayson. I think we've we've seen that the past two games. He's not a, a Grayson kind of player. He doesn't have the legs. Um, don't think he quite has the arm strength from what I've seen. Um, you know, just going back and looking at his stats, he only completed seven passes against Southern Miss in that victory. Um, he was seven for 14. Um, don't believe he threw for a touchdown. So he's just not he's not that difference maker um, that I talked about that Grayson has been the past two and a half seasons. Um so, you know, I don't know. And, and something I learned pretty recently is, you know, Jared's been at Coastal for the same amount of time that Grayson has. They both came in 2019. They're both redshirt juniors. Um, so Jared's been in the system for a while, so he knows it. Now it's just a matter of execution. Um, and he, I don't think he's going to be an air raid guy that, you know, can throw forever. Uh, like I said, doesn't really have it with his legs that I've seen the past uh, two games he started. So it's it's definitely going to be a hurdle. I think we're going to have to rely a lot more on our, our running game against Troy if Jarek Guest is going. Uh, so it, it, replacing a guy like Grayson Call is always going to be tough. Um, you know, is Jarek going to be the guy next year if Grayson leaves? Is that going to be Bryce Archie, who I've heard a lot uh, kind of swirling around? I'm not sure. Um, but Jarek, you know, the, the past two games, I'd call him more of a game manager and, uh, you know, not as much making those big plays. Uh, like Grayson does. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, like I said before, really tough to replace a guy like Grayson McCall. It is. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, two-time reigning Sunbelt Player of the Year. Um, you know, so he's he is going to be missed if he can't go on Saturday. Um, but I think we've now, you know, now talking about both of these teams, we've kind of established that it's a it's, – it's one team, the visitors who have, you know, they, they have a – a defense with some holes in it and an offense that can light just create a spark like like that right and then on the other side of the aisle we have the exact opposite um at an offense with some holes but you know not i don't think as much as as the defensive holes on on coastal and then a defense that is just stout and solid so i want to open up a bit of a dialogue jerry i'll start with you um what do you think concerns you the most about coastal if you are if you're head coach john summerall and and you're looking at the coastal uh roster what concerns you the most about their play style well i certainly think it starts with whether mccall's going to be in the game or not because he is that kind of a difference maker uh, uh troy can attest firsthand to what kind of player he is uh uh, he's just cut us up uh, a lot throughout his career. And a guy that just makes plays, he finds ways to make plays. Even when you think you've got him under control, he'll do something with his feet or he'll make a throw uh, that makes the difference. So, you know, I think he will have a direct impact uh, on this game, certainly uh, against even our talented defense. And regardless, and Sam touched on this, whether um, – whether it's uh, McCall, whether it's Guest, uh, Carpenter, whoever might be in there, I think a key for Troy to have success is we're going to have to get pressure. We're going to have to find a way to make the the quarterback a little bit uncomfortable because any of those guys, if they're allowed to stand in the pocket, when you look at uh, players like Pinckney and the other explosive players that are there, they have a chance to get big chunks of real estate in a short amount of time. And that's going to be key. I don't think this Troy defense, I, I, you know, I think we're pretty stout against the run. 
uh, and we can, uh, you know, we've done a good job against really good running teams this this year. So I, I you know, I think uh, we're in position to to control that if uh, if everybody's healthy. Uh, but what you can't then is uh, stop them on first and second down, and then give up a big play on third down. Uh, and if the quarterback has time. Uh, for Coastal, they certainly have the opportunity to get those explosive plays. So I think if our defense can limit the explosive plays, they can uh, they can make it uh, much more difficult, obviously, to try to drive the length of the field in a sustained drive. Um, and I think that's key for us uh, defensively against Coastal. But that's what scares me about them on their offensive team. Uh, whether McCall's in there or not, but certainly with uh, McCall in there. They are a very explosive offense and have the ability to score on anybody's defense. And now, Sam, I'll I'll pose the same question to you. What do you think uh, Jamie Chadwell is looking at uh, in this Troy offense, and what do you think Coastal needs to do uh, to walk out of Saturday with a W? Yeah, I think it's putting pressure on Gunnar Watson. Um, and that's something that, like I said before, they didn't do very well against JMU. They had uh, one sack, and JMU sacked us five times. Um, so I think that's really what it's going to come down to is how often they can they put pressure on Gunnar Watson, put move him out of the pocket and create some discomfort on that offensive side. I think it's going to, you know, what it's going to come down to. But, um, you know, this is a matchup of two very competitive teams. And Troy is like you guys talked about. They're a Hail Mary away from being undefeated in the Sun Belt. They've had a lot of close games. They've won a lot of close games. Um, and it's really a competitive team. And Coastal's gotten the better of them uh, the past two years. But. You know, it's just uh, it's going to be a, a very competitive battle. And, you know, can Coastal, can can Josiah Stewart create some turbulence? Can Gerard Clark from the nose tackle position, can he get through the offensive line? Um, I think that's really what it's going to come down to. And uh, just putting pressure on Gunnar Watson. And, and yet, you know, if, if the middle of the – what I noticed against JMU was the middle of the field was so open. Those receivers were just cutting right across the middle, getting open, catching passes, and going for, you know, big yardage all the time. And can our secondary lock that down? Can we be better in that area? Um, we certainly have the potential to to do that. Chad Staggs is an extremely smart defensive coordinator. It's been there for a while um, and has had some great defenses in his day. So, you know, can the defense step up on that side? We'll see. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be a fun matchup, I think. And um, it's really going to come down to the trenches, in my opinion. Uh, I agree. I think it's, it's one of those situations where – uh, like I said, the injuries and uh, inconsistency, and you got youth at some positions for that coastal defense. And, you know, watching a couple of the games in the stands, I, I literally I, – I see what you're talking about. Like the JMU game, see the middle of the field just be wide open where a player can get in, and next thing you know, it's 40, 50 yards. So it's, it's something that – uh, I know uh, some coach Sumrall is looking at, and it's like, okay, that's where we have to attack. So, um, I want to get Sam. You have any final thoughts on on this game? I'm excited for it. I'm actually going to uh, Alabama, so I'll be there on Saturday to watch the game, which is super cool. Um, and you know, I one thing I was thinking about was what are those middle quarters going to look like? Because JMU outscored Coastal 27 to nothing in the second and third quarters. And, mm-hmm. you know, just watching, watching Coastal this year, how many times has it been they got off to a great start in the first quarter, they score on their first couple of drives, they're silent through quarters two and three, and then quarter four comes up and they lock the game down. I mean, you know, they've gotten a lot of wins like that, um, and it's been really exciting to watch. But, you know, can we try and and put some points up on the board in the second and third quarters so we don't, we don't have to worry about that? 
you know, close game in the fourth quarter. I think that's what I'm going to be looking at on Saturday. But um, it's been a hell of a ride the past three years watching Coastal football um, finally get a chance at the Sunbelt Championship game, which, uh, you know, we were going to make an appearance in, in 2020, didn't make it there last year, and then finally we get the chance to uh, play for a real Sunbelt title this year, which is going to be super exciting. But can't wait to watch it. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really close and competitive game for sure. All right. And Jerry, same thing. You do you have any uh, final thoughts on the game? Sure, I certainly agree with Sam. I think it's going to be a tremendous, uh, tremendous ball game. Two, two competitive teams. You know, the, uh, the uh, Chanticleer program has really kind of set the standard, and I think done as much as any program in our conference to to project the Sun Belt Conference into a national standing, a national prominence. What they did, uh, you know, the last few years uh, have have really. Uh, elevated, I think, the, the branding of our conference. And uh, and I certainly think the Sun Belt right now is the, the premier group of five conference and just getting stronger with the teams that we have uh, that we have added uh, into this uh, this conference. So uh, and a lot of that uh, they have set the standard for uh, Troy is certainly used to that standard. And I think John Sumrall has come back and done everything he can to reestablish that, uh, you know, Troy's a, a very proud tradition rich program in football and we've had uh, success and you know three consecutive five win seasons it's just hard for our people uh to to bear so for him to to be able to come back and get this program uh, in such a short time i think we knew he could do it i think almost all of us are surprised that uh, that we've had the kind of success that we have had and are playing in our first ever sunbelt championship game We've won some championships, but this will be our first appearance into the, the conference championship game since it was established. So there's a lot of excitement. Uh, Sam, I hope you do make it, man. We're going to have a crowd here. I think there'll be 30-plus thousand. Uh, maybe you can catch up with us in the tailgate area. We do our first hour of our uh, of our pregame show from the tailgate area. Love for you to drop by and see us. But I think it's going to be a very competitive game. I think Sam certainly has pointed out uh, one of the keys – Troy has to protect Gunner. They have to give him an opportunity to stand in the pocket and find some receivers. Now, he's got to take advantage of that and, and re- release the ball on time. If he does that, I think we've got some guys that can make some plays against that defense. Tez Johnson, if you can get it to him across the middle with some space, he's a, he's a problem for anybody. He's a playmaker. And then our secondary receivers, I think, are going to have to make some plays. Rajay Johnson, who had a big game, 100-plus yards against Arkansas State last Saturday, uh, him, Deshaun Stoudemire, if those guys can make some player, plays and take some of the pressure off Tez, uh, then I think coupled with our running game, if we can just have a modicum of success, I don't think we have to run for 250 yards to be effective. That'd be nice, and I'd love to see it, uh, but we've got to be effective in the run game. If we can do that, I think the Troy faithful will take their chances with the Troy defense uh, to give us a chance uh, to be around in that game into the fourth quarter. And one of the things that has stood out about this Troy program, if you go back and look how our games have unfolded, is our halftime adjustments, what these coaches have been able to do at halftime. And not just the adjustments they made, but that the players have bought in and executed uh, those adjustments. And we saw it again Saturday against Arkansas State. You know, we're in trouble. I actually trailed in that game going into the fourth quarter. We scored 34 mm-hmm. points in the fourth quarter. Uh, and and it's uh, I think it's just really uh, – a, a real credit to those coaches and the adjustments that they've made. So if we can keep it close, we're confident that, uh, you know, that our coaches can make the necessary adjustments and give us a chance late. But I think whatever happens, whoever's available, I think the game's going to be tremendous. It's going to be a good atmosphere. The weather 
their promises to be good. I think we're going to have a tremendous product for people to uh, to take a look at uh, with ESPN and certainly in person if you have the opportunity. I think it's going to be a fun day on Saturday. Looking forward to it. Jerry, I will absolutely take you up on that. Um, and then one thing I did want to point out, how about, I mean, you guys have set up the coaching jobs on both sides. I mean, Troy yeah. going from five and seven last year to what, there are, what they are now. And then with Coastal, if you were to tell me before the year that Coach Chadwell would have, would have this team at nine and two in the Sun Belt Championship. I would have thought you were crazy. I mean, I knew how, I know how successful the past two years have been, but uh, just how much we lost going into right. this year. I think this is Coach Chadwell's most impressive coaching job yet, and uh, it's it's going to be great. So, like you said, Jerry, I mean, the halftime adjustments for Troy have been great, and I think the overall coaching job for the Shauna Clears has been fun to watch this year. So, exciting game for sure. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. And I would agree with that. And I think Coach John Summerall has a tremendous respect for what Coach Chadwell has done. He he talks about it, and you know, the, again, the bar that he has set. So I think there's some tremendous uh, uh, deserved uh, mutual admiration there. And I think you're right. I, when I look at uh, look at the job both these coaches have done, and I don't know if you can say enough about it. Well, there's one thing I do want to say. Um, you know, you're talking about halftime adjustments. You can't also forget about that last minute, especially the Troy, Louisiana game. The, yeah. uh, the I don't think it was like 10 seconds left when Vidal dove into the end zone. It was originally marked at the at the two yard line, I believe. Right. And yeah, then, we uh, and then they run out. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, uh, I was watching. You know, watching it from my perspective in the press box. Uh, I was thinking more, it really doesn't matter. He's got us in a position where it's an extra point for a field goal to win the game. So I wasn't overly mm-hmm. concerned. But then our sideline guys, uh, Chris Blackshear and uh, Junior Lewis, think that was down there, they immediately started saying in our headphones, hey, I think he scored. And then once they put the replay yeah. up, uh, it was easy to see that they, they ended up making the right call. He left in the air and got the ball across. It was just a great individual effort. And uh, even early in last week's game, talking about Kamani Vidal, I don't want to extend you guys, but uh, he made a play on our first drive. We throw a pick, what looked like was going to be a pick six. The guy takes it, looks like he's going all the way. And then out of nowhere comes Kamani Vidal and knocks him out at the two-yard line. And we hold him and force a field goal. Kamani Vidal, even from an offensive running back position, saved us four points on that first exchange. And just that kind of hustle, I think, uh, uh, just sends a message that, hey, here's one of our premier players who could have certainly taken that play off and just said, oh, well, we'll we'll have to make it up. He hustles all the way down the field and saves four points on that. Uh, Kamani's made some tremendous plays, but uh, and I think it sets a, a tone for the rest of the team. And it did in that game. It took us a, it took us a while to get it going, but it set a – it set a standard of uh, effort early for that one. Yeah, absolutely. And these two teams going at it this Saturday at 3.30 on ESPN. Um, we thank both of you guys for coming on. Jerry Miller from Troy, Sam Wiederhaft from Coastal. We wish both of your programs the best of luck on Saturday, and let's hope that it's a great game. Thanks, guys. It's been my pleasure. Thank you guys for bringing me on. Once again, special thanks to Sam Wiederhaft and Jerry Miller. Uh, we've got Sun Belt Championship game this Saturday, 3.30 kickoff on ESPN. We've got some predictions that we've got to get to, Kyle. Uh, we're going to finish up with that championship game, but 
Why don't Absolutely. we? Absolutely, but we, we we don't have that those many uh, that many basketball games we got to talk about this week. No, we do not. So, and and from what I'm looking at, uh, I think that the first couple are going to be pretty uh, pretty quick. So, why don't we get straight into men's uh, first game on the docket? Troy at number 24, San Diego State. Troy leads the series one nothing. Kyle, who you got? I got San Diego State. As do I. I I think that the you know they they're historically they're just too good. Um, and then we've got number three Virginia hosting James Madison. Um, looking at James Madison so far this season, they are six and two. So number three Virginia or a six and two Duke's team, Kyle, who you got? Virginia's playing with the motion of an entire campus. I got Virginia. Oh yeah, I I 100% have Virginia, especially at this time. The 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 top five uh, preseason rankings probably the worst thing that could have happened for all of Virginia's opponents this year because now with all of that added, um, with all of that added stuff, and and we send our um, our our thoughts to um, that community. Um, but this Virginia team is, is I have a feeling they're going to do something magical this year. So mm-hmm. now we'll move over to the women temple at old dominion. First ever meeting Kyle. Ooh, you know what? I th- think I'm going to go old dominion. Well, I am going to go with temple old dominion three and three on the season. I'm not going to go for the upset on this one. Uh, so I've got Temple, uh, but we've also got another first-time meeting, Troy at Arkansas. Kyle, who you got? Uh, well, this one I'm not going with the upset. I'm going Arkansas. And you already know who I'm going with, the team that I've been talking up all season. At some point, they've got to get that Power 5 win. I'm going with Troy, and I don't think – I don't think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a 10-point-plus game. Okay. At some point, at some point, Felmas Karanga is going to show the uh, the SEC who she is. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. And now we've got our final women's game, Clemson at Georgia State. Clemson leads the series 3-2 and two all time, and – Let's take a look at Georgia State. They're four and four so far on the young season, second in the Sun Belt when it comes to out of conference games. Kyle, who do you have? Uh, Clemson is four and three themselves. So I'm going to say I got Clemson, uh, but I, I think Georgia State's going to give them give them a battle. I think they're going to give them a battle so much so that I'm going to pick Georgia State. I think that Clemson's basketball team is down this year, and Georgia State, I just got a feeling. Got a feeling. Which brings us to the big one. The championship. Yes, the championship is set. Coastal Carolina, they're not hosting. They were hosting all the way up until the final whistle of their game against James Madison. They'll travel to Troy, Alabama to take on the Trojans. 
Coastal leads the all-time series three and two. We just went through all of that uh, preview up to this game. So, Kyle, I'm going to start with you. Who do you think is going to take home the Sun Belt Conference Championship in 2022? All right. So this is definitely going to be an interesting game. Uh, You have a very good defense in Troy that, you know, you know, Carlton Marshall, the leading tackler in all of Division One for career tackles. He is going to be a constant harassment for the uh, quarterback for Coastal unless it's Grayson McCall. So, Coastal, on the other hand, you know, they're they're good at rushing. Uh, once again, we don't know about the quarterback play. I mean, the receivers have had some great days and they've had some bad days. Uh, that offensive line, you know, needs to shore up a little bit. So, with all that being said, something just tells me that when the lights are on, Coastal does its best work. I'm going to go with the upset. I got Coastal Carolina. All right. I'll make it dramatic as well. So Go ahead. That's what we're here for. <laughs> we just talked about how this game stacks up. I think it's a Coastal offense that ha- that is always due, right? It's always due to jump ahead. You've got a Troy team looking for their 10th straight win with a great defense, some questions on offense. So I think that both of these teams have their holes. Both of these teams have their strengths and weaknesses, and you're going to see the strengths going up against each other. Yeah. I'm going to say right now that if the quarterback is Grayson McCall, and as of right now, we do not know if Grayson McCall is suiting up. If Grayson McCall is the quarterback, then my it might change things. But right now, this pick is based on Jarrett Guest under center. I think that Jarrett Guest has some growing to do. We saw it at James Madison. We've been seeing how missed Grayson McCall is in these past couple of games. I also think that this defense, this coastal defense, Todd Centeno and the Dukes showed us how to beat it. And it was a very even sharing of, of pounding the run game and finding the receivers over the top of that middle line. Do I think Coastal makes it close? Yes, I do. But I think that Troy is just – their defense is going to be too much. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game if Grayson McCall's not – back I don't think it's going to be high scoring at all but I am going to take Troy in the Sun Belt Championship on their home turf you know I think that I I think that this is going to be a really good game but we're going to have to see if Jarrett Guest learned anything from those uh from from that performance on Saturday and yeah in terms of well, in terms of in terms of Troy, 
They have to protect Gunnar Watson, as Jerry Miller was saying. I think that the the front four is the most the, the, the strongest point of Coastal's defense. And if they can pressure Gunnar mm-hmm. Watson and force him to throw, uh, make bad throws, then this Coastal could take it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take Troy as it stands right now. I think that they're just they're playing like like they're unhinged. And yeah, I I think that they're gonna be too much to handle. I'm going to continue to say I think they're on their Blues Brothers mission from God. So, uh, and if you haven't, anyone if you've not watched the Blues Brothers movie, first of all, you don't know what you're missing. It's great music, and it's it, it, it's great entertainment. Yeah, but, you told them three weeks um, ago that they have to watch it. You told them three weeks ago, so at this point, you know they what? have to have seen it. Right, okay, so in that case, then you need to watch Blues Brothers 2000. But anyway. <laughs> uh, but uh, with, with that being said, um, you know, I think what this is really going to be if Jared Guess is under center. All right. And this is this is my opinion. This game will prove whether he is the man next year under center or if or if they go to someone else that they have uh, on the bench or or if they attack the. Uh, transfer portal to try to get a quarterback for next year. Or if McCall stays. Or if McCall stays, like I said. But I'm going to work under the assumption that it's it's not McCall next year. If Jared Guest learns from what happened last week, applies it, and has a better game, then that shows me Teachability. You 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 see what your mistakes were. You learn from. You try not to make them again. If it's another game like last week, then there's going to be questions at the quarterback position going into the offseason. Yeah, and it's and it's not going to be very close of a game. So so those are our picks. I've got Troy. Kyle's got Coastal Carolina. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time in Troy, Alabama on ESPN. That's all we've got. So, once again, special thanks to Sam Wiederhaft and Jerry Miller coming on and uh, and joining us for a segment. Sunbelt Conference Championship this Saturday. Be there. As I said, it's on ESPN. We'll be watching, and we'll give you the rundown next week. And it'll be probably our shortest football segment of the year. So we'll uh, probably yeah, we'll catch. Although you. we're not going to make any promises, we're not going to make any promises. Who knows? Maybe we'll uh, we'll drag it out to forty-five minutes. Uh, but <laughs> but with that being said, I'm TJ. That's Kyle. This is Under the Sun. We'll see you next week. <laughs>